<laughs> With the podcast blast at home, Jeremiah here. Uh, welcome to the Law po- Podcast Laws Home. Uh, sorry, Scott usually does the intro, and uh, I just botched that one pretty good. And I see now why why Scott is so important to the show. Um, don't worry, Scott is going to be joining us for the interview that we have with. Mr. Michael Myers, the shape, James Jude Courtney from the new Halloween film uh, is coming up. Scott will be here as well, but Scott is not able to make it for this little intro and outro, which is fine because we actually have a little bit of a longer episode because uh, we were able to talk to uh, James Jude Courtney at length and uh, absolutely appreciated every second of of time we had with him. So we did not want to uh, shorten anything up whatsoever. So if there are any radio listeners out there out uh, on the uh, various radio networks that we're on that are kind of limited to an hour, you should be able to hear uh, pretty much everything um, Mr. Courtney has to say, but you might miss a couple of minutes of our little outro and whatnot um so yeah if you if you do and you want to check us out uh, go to itunes uh stitcher uh podbean anywhere that you can find uh podcasts for the most part and uh check us out and subscribe you can get the full episode there and uh also if you go over to patreon.com slash lost at home you can also get uh the full unedited uncut interview uh for the most part this one's actually uh coming up as uncut james drew courtney was a dream of an interview e and he uh well he answered everything we needed out of him so anyway uh it is a very special episode so i'm not gonna leave you hanging on for too much longer but just do be forewarned if you're listening and you and you hear things get cut off uh that is by design and uh yeah go check check out the whole thing it's a pretty awesome interview we had a great time talking to james uh also i before i go on too far uh i know all my primies out there are like Hey, 237, man, that sounds pretty prime, right? right? No, you're dumb, dumb. All right, dumb, dumb? 237 is not prime. It's three times 79. All right, go back to school. Go the fuck back to school. I don't want. I don't even want to see you until you know your prime numbers. One, three, five, two is in there, too, actually. Uh, I already failed. Never mind. Uh, I know I don't actually have any primies. Scott uh, is, is telling me all the time that I don't actually have any, uh, any of these uh, fictional uh prime number fan group followers that give a shit about prime numbers and that's okay because in my head you all exist out there so i'm still going to shout out to all my primies out there because i just want to i just want to feel something and i want to feel like a company of another person because i'm lonely i'm so lonely and it's even my good friend scott couldn't be here to help me do the intro or anything because he didn't want to see my face he told me i was ugly and an idea halloween scary enough as is he says he said i don't want to see your face he says i think it's gonna scare me even more than halloween i'd rather go home and stick my head inside of a pumpkin he says hey anyway i'm sorry i'm sorry i shouldn't get emotional before an interview but i just did um this is why scott is crucial to the podcast I would, uh, that, that's that's the end of what I have to say, which is good, because this week I don't have to say much of anything, because we let James Jude Courtney do the talking and tell us all about his role in the new Halloween picture, which is, of course, do a picture. Who the fuck am I? Like, nah, girl, go see your Halloween picture, see? And uh, he, he does a great job in that. That is a runaway blockbuster at uh, as of this taping taping oh yeah we're gonna take some tapes see uh, as of this recording digital recording uh, it's taken in about 126 million in its 10 day uh, against a, about a 10 million dollar budget so Blumhouse you've done it again gosh darn it but not without the help of James Drew Courtney our lovely guest who's about to tell you everything there is to know about the new Halloween movie except for any spoilers or anything 
specific to the Halloween movie, but anything about going into making it and what it's like to be the iconic Michael Myers, stepping into some pretty big shoes, figuratively and literally uh, speaking. And going to be great to, to hear him chat about what he has to talk about. So I'm not going to hold you off any longer, and I'm going to let Scott take this one away. Scott? Welcome to the show, James Jude Courtney. <laughs> Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Now, we are huge horror fans. Um, Any listener of the show obviously knows that since we've been doing Halloween month. My God, we actually started technically in July with uh, horror in July or Halloween in July. And then we kind of rolled it through. Uh, We're uh, we're doing an interview series right now, and we're very happy to have you on the show. Um, Obviously, listeners of the show have been keyed in that you'd be coming on this week and that we'd be talking a little bit about the new Halloween franchise and the... uh, soft reboot sequel that you starred in nice nice now uh i guess before we get into any of that and um definitely we're going to delve into it a bit i'd like to ask you basically very simply off the top what brought you into acting what got you into this career path that led you to this monumental film I knew in fourth grade I was making movies for a living. Um, I just, it was just, it was an epiphany. I had several epiphanies in fourth grade and that was one of them. And, um, and so by fifth grade, uh, my father had an old fashioned three lens, eight millimeter camera and a little movieola. He'd been making family movies and eventually shot every football game and basketball game and boxing match that myself and my six brothers ever engaged in. So, um, you know, by fifth grade, I was making my own movies. My mom was my first cameraman. So it wasn't like I put a poster up in my room or had dreams or it just, it was an accepted, like, you know, my mom and dad love me. I'm going to college and I'm going to make movies. That It was just like an accepted fact in my life. Now, with that accepted fact in your life, you did take a turn in your college days and you went for, I believe, journalism? Yeah, yeah, but that, that was, was strategic because... <clears throat> the um, I didn't have the resources to attend NYU or UCLA or uh, Southern Cal, um, you know, the iconic film schools. And um, I've always had a fascination with journalism. Uh, I've always deeply appreciated journalism. And, and um, the University of South Carolina had the sixth ranked journalism school in the nation. So, um, and there's very specific things I really enjoy about journalism. One is the research aspect. I mean, how to get in on the truth, how to find the truth, how to uncover the truth. And the second is how to manipulate minds. And those are both very, you know, very important things for an actor or a filmmaker. And actually going into uh, uh, the Michael Myers universe, um, and of course, you know, manipulating minds, in this case, you have to learn how to actually create fear and instill fear in people. I'm curious how the opportunity to actually play the iconic Michael Myers, or in this case, we, I guess more accurately, the shape specifically come about. Well, that's, um, you know, that's, I, I, Ron Hutchinson, the uh, venerable old stunt coordinator um, who did the, the, the two Rob Zombie um, Halloweens, um, where he's, you know, was set up to stunt coordinate this. And, and when he read the script, he, he said, uh, you know, he, called Malik and he called David Green and said, look guys, you know, this, this is the way the script is written. We need somebody who has really deep acting chops and really, you know, has a really good stunt man. And it's just not a whole lot of those guys around. And add to that, that David was very specific about the size and, you know, the height and weight of the actor. And he needed to be, and he couldn't be a 30 year old guy. He needed to be an older guy. So all these things put together, um, you know, really, 
after they looked, I think I think they looked at one of the uh, one of the earlier Michael Myers, but he was nowhere near the physical condition to be able to do the demanding work that was going to be done on this script. So, um, as I understand it, um, when I got the you know when Ron called me, told me that um, I'm I had moved back to Columbia, South Carolina, where I'm from, uh, because I'm making my own films now, so I can live anywhere and. and um, you know, so oddly enough, they were shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. I went down to do the interview and, um, they put me on tape and it was a long interview, a lot of movement, um, a lot of discussion about stunts and acting and, you know, my training and, and then, um, but it was a lot of movement, a lot of movement. And yeah, dude, I wasn't out of the parking lot and I got a call from Blumhouse asking my availability to shoot the film. And I hadn't even made it to the, to the interstate to get back to, to my house. And, um, and they called me again and said, hey, David Green wants to meet you. And as I understand it, now I could be wrong, but as I understand it, I was the only, after after they saw me, they didn't look at anybody else. They knew they had one. So well, it was kind of meant to be. Well, that, yeah, that's an awesome story to hear that you, you know, kind of just, uh, that they, they saw what they liked right off the bat. And actually, that kind of leads me to a question I had uh, a little later on, which was, I'm curious what kind of, because, I mean, you mentioned going to the auditioning process and what you had to go through when you were actually there, but I'm curious uh, what kind of preparation you did ahead of time that, uh, you know, what kind of preparation that goes into playing a monster like The Shape? Well, this is this is a very unusual preparation for me um, because I, I studied with Stella Adler, you know, the uh, who was Marlon Brando's acting coach, one of the greatest acting coaches of, of all time, and then I've had other very, very talented coaches, including from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, so, you know, normally I would prepare, you know, from a method point of view, every word has meaning, every movement has meaning, every relationship has meaning. It's, you know, there's a whole lot, there's a whole continuum of, there's a protocol you follow almost to, you know, to create, to create the character and to create meaning. For this one, it was purely energetic. Um, so what I did was I watched the original um, one time before the, before the audition. And um, what I was doing is reaching into what Nick Castle had created energetically. I just wanted to, I wanted to embrace the energy of what he created. And, you know, Nick will tell you, yeah, yeah, you know, John just told me to walk and I walked. Well, easy for him to say because, you know, Nick Castle, if you, if you certainly, if you look at his filmography and more, if you get to know him as a person, and I, I, I know him really well now, um, this is a deeply intuitive, you know, highly creative individual. So what he created was so he took what John Carpenter and Deborah Hill wrote and just ran with it in a highly creative way and created this iconic character. So what I did was reach into the energy of it. And there was a, there was a certain, when I was watching the film, I was actually at my brother's house. Um, and I, it was the middle of the afternoon. I was watching the film and there was a scene where um, Nick walks through the backyard, camera left, camera right. Really quick scene, couple seconds. And in my mind, I just went, I got it. I got it. And that was the energy I carried forth. I have not intellectualized this character. I do not intellectualize it. I never will intellectualize it. Um, it really is a space. It's a place. It's beyond duality. It's beyond judgment. It's beyond, you know, black and white, right and wrong, good and evil. It's beyond all that. It's a, it's a space that I go to when I went to when I played it. And, and then I would breathe out of it when, you know, when we, change setups or whatever when I was not working. Now, um, I'm curious, did you feel nervous at all going into the role, knowing that this would be outside of the Rob Zombie movies, of course, um, the first time that Michael Myers would be shown on screen without his mask for 
well, more scenes than I think has ever been captured on film. Like, you actually carry the character without putting on the mask throughout, I would say, the first third of the film easily. Well, I mean, um, honestly, again, I didn't intellectualize anything. And, and, and secondly, um, man, this is what I do. You know, this is this is what I do. And so, you know, from the moment of being cast and preparing, you know, getting to that, that, that spiritual energetic place where I was, you know, prepared to go down and do the work um, on camera for the audition. Um, at that point in the game, I, I, once I locked into the energy, um, it was, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you're on a mission, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a mission. And once you commit to the mission, everything else is superfluous. You just, you know, you step in. It's, and this is, I mean, I equate this to special forces guys because I read a study recently that talks about how, um, you know, like normal, regular army guys, you know, uh, Marines, wh whatever, um, when they're at rest, uh, you know, they're not on the mission, their cortisol levels are low, their brain activity is, is average, their heart rates are average. But as soon as they go on a mission, they get pumped up. Cortisol levels go up, their brain activity increases. Well, special forces guys are the opposite. When the special forces guy gets, you know, is, and when they're waiting, that's when their cortisol levels are high. That's when their, their brain chemistry and pulse rate is high. But as soon as they get a mission, everything drops down. And that's the way I, I mean, that's, that's the way my body operates. Like if I'm going to do a high fall, I get calm before a high fall. If I'm going to fight, I get calm before a fight. And so this was just an extended period of calm for me. So I, from the moment I went down for the audition, it was, I was in that zone. And so when I got brought down to do the work, when we were rehearsing and then shooting, it was just being in that space and I, and it had already been created. So I needed to do is drop down. And again, I've been doing this a long time. So if, you know, to think about, I mean, you know, ask, ask any, you know, athlete or, uh, you know, an attorney before he argues a case. I mean, the dude who's worried about whether he's going to do it or not is not going to give his best performance. You know, the guy who's dialed in or the guy or girl who's dialed in um, and believes that, you know, this was meant for them. And this is, this is, I mean, it's game day, man. You know, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's game day, you show up. Now, um, this is going to harken back to a few minutes ago when you said that uh, you watched Halloween with your brother. Um, I'm just kind of curious from the standpoint of someone who's, you know, doing these films. Uh, how did your, like, say, friends and family circle react to this, uh, this new move, this new film? Um, you know, it's, it's weird, man. I, this is the first time, actually, that anyone in my, I, in my family has ever seen me work, like, gone on set. It was a closed set, but after, after everything was kind of settled down, um, each of my brothers, I have six brothers, and um, four of them still living. Um, so my brothers came down, some nieces and nephews, my mom. My mom has never seen me work. I mean, if you add up all the individual TV episodes and the movies that I've done, I've done well over 100. I mean, well over 100. And no one has ever seen me work, except for my Uncle Jerry once saw me do a high fall in, in the hit list. Um, but you know, my family is like really supportive, but we're a big family and my brothers are very accomplished at what they do. And my family is also very low key. So we're just really supportive of each other. We're always really happy when something happens. Um, but it, there, it's, it's really hard to say. It's a quiet sort of, um, joy and support, um, from them, but it was it, there was no fist pumping or, you know, I mean, nothing like that. Well, it was. Um, uh, it's it's interesting to you know go back to what you were talking about with the um, 
you know, your cortisol levels and things like that, because that sounds exactly kind of where, I mean, what I would imagine Michael Myers is kind of at, um, where when he's, you know, doing his thing. And of course, it seems like his his natural cadence uh, would be kind of in that calm level when he's actually, in, in his case, his thing, quote unquote, I guess would be, uh, you know, uh, heartlessly murdering people. And, um, but, uh, but there's still some life and personality behind him, even though he's kind of a faceless monster. And even though you, you know, were uh, outside of the mask for a, a chunk of the movie, uh, there's still a, a period of it, quite a bit of it, where you are kind of uh, robbed of the voice and facial expressions that most actors, you know, rely on. I think it was Kane Hodder I, I uh, recently heard saying, in his case, primarily Jason Voorhees, um, how much more difficult it is to bring a masked and mute character to life versus, you know, how people think it is, like, oh, you just have to walk around and slash a knife and things like that. How did you manage to overcome the absence of those uh, two key elements through most of the film to bring life and personality without also accidentally humanizing a monster too much um how do you bring that to uh to the halloween uh movie this time well i think it, it goes back to um you know being in in the internal space uh jimmy cagney said you know acting is all about standing on two feet and telling the truth so you know the audience understands if you're lying i mean because acting is about living in truth you have to believe what you're doing you have to be in that space and you don't stand there and go dude i believe what i'm doing you know like you have to really be in it you have to really exist in that space and that's what performance is all about i mean and so i think you know you notice like when i'm in the courtyard um and and i get a slight you know i give a slight or, or you know as michael myers give a slight reaction it, there's a there's a chord that's touched in there which shows there is humanity um, again, I'm not going to intellectualize too much because I don't, I didn't go to that place. It's all vibrational for me. It's all in, in a very deep, deep internal space, which I would breathe into, you know, own for a time and then breathe out. And it was, it was not me. It's almost shamanic. It's almost, you know, like the ancient Greek, uh, performers and, and the, the shaman and indigenous societies around the world, they embrace spirits. They embrace energy that is not them. And they allow that to take over their being. And that's, kind of what my experience was with um now david talked about how he knew an actor who had gone to a deep place and and had a psychotic break because he couldn't get out of it um for, so for me the you know the uh the process was embodying that energy embodying the energy of this and, and think about this man a lot of a lot of guys have played this role and so when you tap into what we you know call the morphogenetic field this field of the universe is like this one big information pool. And so if you tap into that information pool, you know, you look at what Nick Castle created, but all these other guys who added their little nuances and their, their aspects, you know, Tyler, um, and the, the viciousness and, and, you know, uh, um, Dick Warlock and, you know, all these great performances these guys did and what they poured into it. That's all part of the information that is Michael Myers, even though we didn't count that, you know, we, we looked at the film as the sequel, all the other films were just urban myths but you know, on a on a on an energetic and informational level, all these guys had contributed something, and so all I did was tap into that energy, the energy of that primarily Nick Castle, and then allow that to take over my body, and then of course the performance became mine because it had to come through my body. Well, then actually you you touched on something that I was curious about, and you sort of answered it there, but um, you know, in this one being a direct uh, sequel. Um, in kind of just ignoring kind of what came after it um, in the canon, but with there being so many other uh, 
you know, great portrayals of Michael Myers as a sh- in the shape. Were you at all tempted to kind of reach into that bag, or did you really like target yourself? Say, no, I'm not even going to look into anything that anybody since Nick Castle has done. I'm really going to purely study Nick Castle's uh, Michael Myers, the shape um, in in this one, and kind of ignore anything that came after, and you know, make sure there's no temptation to take any of those nuances from the from the further films. Well, you know, I watched the first one. You know, like I said, and then I watched the second one only because um, I, I know Rick Rosenthal and Nancy Stevens. I used to play tennis at their house, so um, I just wanted to see what he did again. And he's a wonderful director, and Nancy's an awesome woman. And so I just wanted to see, out of curiosity, what he did. And it, and it so happened for for my money, um, Dick Warlock did very much the same thing that I did. He 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 picked up on Nick's energy, and he he kind of ran with it. So um, it's it's not imitation. It's it's. Um, it's an emulation. It's a, it's an embracing of an energy and allowing that. But I didn't watch any of the other ones. I didn't, um, you know, I saw them all when they came out. I've seen every single one. I, you know, I, I admire the, the work of every guy that, that, that put on the mask. But at the end of the day, it was really about embracing what was originally created and allowing that to, you know, to, to morph into whatever it was that was going to come out of my body. And, and that's really, you know, when you're telling the truth, I mean, it's, it's your whole body response and so even though my entire face wasn't shown and i didn't get to articulate my facial muscles and show emotion or non-emotion um you know the the the, if you look at the various shots of my face from various angles it pretty much shows my whole face you know if you were to compile them if you were to do a you know montage of all those shots um so there's truth there at least as far as i'm concerned because i was living it now the movie's been out for let's say about two weeks now and I mean, saying it's a hit is an understatement. Yeah, it's it's, uh, uh, it's been it, ruling the box. I think office. the last I read was 126 mil over the 10 days. Yeah, that's period. really yeah. good. And uh, I'm just curious, uh, with all of this, uh, how has your life been post filming? <laughs> Lots of interviews, man, <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 the appearances, which are really special because I get to meet the fans, and the fans are stoked and. So I get these moments of like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of moments, I mean, thousands really of moments where I get to meet the fans or, you know, who, who, who are just really stoked and they're really happy with the film. And so I get to share and that joy with each one of these people just for a moment, you know, for a minute or two or three, have a brief conversation, you know, sign an autograph, take a picture or whatever, um, sit on a panel, do an interview with you guys. And, you know, and, and I get to live the joy of being a part of something that has brought you know, joy and happiness to a lot of people. And man, I've gotten some um, responses on social media. Um, one was really touching, like the, the dude's mom just died and he was wondering, like, should I go? And it, it took him out of his pain for a moment. And how good does that get, man? That I got to be a part yeah. of it, you know? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That that escapism that you can give people. And actually, I, I, we've talked to some other folks who have um, had the luxury slash uh, you know frightening experience of jumping into such an iconic franchise before. And I know, uh, is there kind of a, a sigh of relief you're breathing now that you know you've been? I you know I, everybody I've talked to that has seen it. You know, Scott and I, you know, have fully embraced this. Um, you know, th- this piece of the Halloween canon are extremely happy with it. Are, is there a sigh of relief or were you kind of, uh, were, were you 
sure that you would just get embraced like this, or is there a little bit of a sigh of relief now that it's over and people, I'm sure not 100% of people are happy with anything, of course, but as horror fans, they can be, you know, the genre fans can be very, very particular, and for them to kind of embrace you fully, do you do you feel a little bit uh, redeemed and, and a little sense of relief now that it's over, even though your life is a whirlwind right now? Um, you know, no, I don't. I mean, I did what I did, and and you know, it's it's like yeah, you leave it on the field. You know yeah. what I mean? You yeah. leave it in the you leave it in the ring. Good you know, call. and yeah. and and that's done. And there's nothing I can do about that. So I, it's not. You know, if I were 25 years old, it would be a different story. You know, as a younger man, I was really you know like any younger man. I'm I'm still finding my way. I'm still insecure in in certain aspects. But at this point in the game, um, I've done this enough, and um, and I know the place that I went to and it was honest for me. And if all I can do is be honest, you know, in any situation, in relationships and in my work, um, if I have integrity there, then I can walk away knowing that I did my best and, and then it's up to the fans and, and, and the fans, man, they have the right to voice their opinions. I mean, they're invested, you know? And by the way, man, that's part of the energy that I, I think I embraced, um, in, in retrospect, not only the energy of the guys who played Michael Myers, but, the energy that all the fans have been imbuing this film with or this this canon for you know for 40 freaking years dude it's a lot of people and yeah. a lot of love and a lot of thought and it's a lot of energy and information and i think it's great that there's a debate whether you know this person's the best or that person's the <laughs> best and you know i don't but i don't you know i don't categorize myself and i don't um i don't compare myself to other people i'm just at that place in my life where it is what it is, man. I, I was blessed to be able to do it. I feel internally grateful for the opportunity. And, and, um, and I'm really, I, I love the response I've gotten from the fans. It's been, it's been beautiful. And, and um, I personally haven't gotten any negativity. So um, it's just, it, it, I feel a sense of gratitude through mm-hmm. all this. And that's it. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's, that's a great answer. Yeah, yeah it's the best case scenario, yeah. honestly. <laughs> Um, now, uh, I was listening to an interview with Danny McBride recently where he said that initially they were thinking about doing two Halloween movies back-to-back and releasing them back-to-back, but they decided not to uh, bite off more and they could chew. They wanted to see how people responded to the uh, the new new sequel. And uh, basically, how do you feel as things are running forward? Like, has there been any talk about actually going forward with a new part three and if so uh has anyone approached you about reprising your role i'm not allowed to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> hey it was good it was worth a shot yeah i, I signed an, i signed an nda about as thick as my waist i haven't got a big waist but it's still thick <laughs> yeah it, it, it probably costs it probably costs more than the uh, entire take of the uh halloween franchise to uh to to, to get out of the, one of those things yeah. so here um, actually yeah. um as a side question yeah. i guess um i'm a danny mcbride fan i've always loved eastbound and down vice principals all of his previous works and i was shocked to hear you know when they initially announced that he was going to be uh writing and it ended up being co-writing the new Halloween movie. Uh, Was he an influence on set at all? Did he actually appear, give notes, or was he more of a, I handed in my script and you guys just do this? He was there just enjoying the process. Mm -hmm. He's a really cool guy. Um, He's not only a very funny guy, he's a great audience. I mean, he listens. And I, I I think what many people don't understand is, you know, his level of, his level of the understanding of comedy I think if you look at comedians the great comedians you know over the years they have insane insight into the human reality like they have insane insight into relationships and and pathos and you know so Danny McBride for sure Jeff Radley David I mean when they wrote the script they did so with a 
was a deep knowledge of what the human condition is really about. And so I think the things that they brought, and you know, specifically if you look at Danny's work, um, his understanding, and he's such a great guy. He's just such a freaking great guy. So he has this very clear vision of what it means to be a human being. And I think that came across because there's humor in everything. I mean, you know, two of my brothers have passed away. My father's passed away. We laughed our asses off at the funerals and some people couldn't handle it. In fact, my mom and my brother, Tim and myself were with my dad when he was passing away. And some of the nurses thought we were crazy, I think, because we were laughing. But my dad had us laughing when he was passing away. There's humor in, you know, in tragedy. And, and so I think Danny uh, specifically, but definitely Jeff and David, um, knew how to, how to embrace that and make it a very human script and a very contemporary script with, you know, with the issues that are going on, including, you know, the hashtag me too. I mean, and, you know, of course, Jamie being certainly one of the most empowered, you know, females on the freaking planet. Um, she's just a, you know, beyond an icon. She's a, a remarkable human being. And, you know, so you take that and put it all together with the script. And when I read the script, I was, and that's the first thing I said to Danny when I met him was like, dude, um, you know, the subtlety of the humor and the timing you place in this was just, I mean, it's, it's just superlative. Well, and people talk about that, uh, you know, comparison too, where people are sometimes surprised when, uh, comedians, uh, make it over to the horror genre. And of course, you know, I, I think, uh, um, Jordan Peele kind of shut people up with uh, Get Out, what, like thinking that might be a kind of an issue. But there's there's there are some similarities, so many similarities of what it takes as far as timing goes. Yeah, they might be trying to evoke a different uh, visceral reaction, but as far as what you have to do to get that and evoke that and actually understand a human being and what it makes to, what it means to be a human being, I think are relatively similar. So I've never been that worried at all when I hear somebody moving from the comedy realm, which I also love, to the horror realm, which is my absolute favorite and something I grew up loving. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a perfect balance. And I think if you look at the career, you know, like Robin Williams, I mean, look at the drama he's done, you know, you know Good Bull Hunting, uh, Patch Adams, and, you know, but how incredibly human that man was. Uh-huh. And, you know, and how incredibly funny he was. I mean, because life really is pretty freaking funny when you when you get down to it, it is, you know yeah. but it's also really really tragic and it's really violent and it's a, it, you know the planet earth is not an easy place to be yeah and and i mean i absolutely agree it's it's one of those things where i mean i think without finding some humor and everything uh to to certain degrees anyway i mean how less bearable uh the, the life would actually be and how much more horrific it would be so being able to find that is is really important and having those outlets these little sandboxes of of horror um tinged with some you know comedic elements without making them overtly horror comedy is extremely important as well to show that even in the world of you know michael myers and some of these other monsters you can have a little bit of levity because the world still goes on around you and that's how people actually react in the real world so um yeah and i think yeah. i think i think those guys really captured it in the script and, you know, by the way, man, after I read the, you know, because when you're, when you're making a film, I mean, you're, you're, you know, there's, there's revisions constantly as you're dealing with scheduling and, and, you know, all these different kinds of things. And after I think the second or third revision, I can't remember exactly what it was. I stopped reading the scripts and I stopped uh, even looking at the call sheets in the morning. I didn't even want to know what it was I was doing. My job was to just be in the space of the shape when I showed up on the set. And I trusted that David, and uh, Ron, you know, the sound coordinator, were going to tell me exactly what I needed to do. And so with the energies inside of me, I just, you know, they established the parameters of that sandbox and I got to play in the sandbox. I just had to know the, you know, I just had to know the limits. I just had to know basically what I was going to do 
and then intuitively, you know, I would just allow what internal, you know, energies were there to dictate my movements and um, the way I play the scene. Well, that's uh, very, very lucky that you got uh, writers that you could trust that with. I can imagine in some Hollywood uh, outfits, you showing up after not reading 10, 15 revisions, and all of a sudden Michael Myers is a talking dog running for president or something like that, and uh, being extremely <laughs> surprised. <laughs> like, okay, here it is. Michael Myers is a talking dog now. We're like, oh, I should have probably read those, but it's nice when you have that trust. Um, uh, b- before we move into 10 questions, I was curious if there's anything we didn't touch on uh, that you want to chat about, or if there are any upcoming projects that you're allowed to talk about that you maybe want to discuss before we move on to those. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very close to uh, producing my first film, which is a script I wrote. Uh, it's a coming-of-age story of a uh, high school soccer player, and you know the, the mom dies of an opioid overdose, the brother selling meth. I mean, it's dealing with a lot of issues that that families and people are dealing with contemporarily, and and um, you know, and, it, and it, so really, it's about uplifting and inspiring, and and giving ourselves permission to be who we are because I, I've lived that in my life. I mean. You know, life is not easy always. Sometimes it's incredibly tragic and painful. And, you know, we have to find a way to explore our gifts and to take the risk of being who we are and doing what we do. And so I'm, I'm really excited to, to be a part of that. And, um, you know, I, 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 um, I mean, this is kind of an interesting platform because uh, being that there is such a built-in fan base um, and it puts me in a position to, you know, really get out and meet a lot of fans and, and to have these, you know, beautiful experiences like I'm having with you guys. Um, it, 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 I'm, I'm feeling grateful for the fact that I'm in this place at this time in my life as opposed to 30 years ago when, you know, things were different and I, I didn't have as great a sense of humanity and spirituality. You know, the, the things that really drive me now as a human being are different. And so, um, you know, gratitude, man. Gratitude is the is the pervasive atti- attitude and energy that I'm living in right now um, with this experience. Well, that's great to hear, and I'm actually uh, definitely curious to hear more about that project as it comes comes about. So, you know, by all means, keep in touch as uh, as that moves along. I know things can take a while to actually, uh, you know, come to fruition. Do you, perchance, have a working yeah. title? Uh, we have a working title, um, but it's it's definitely just a working title. I had a a, a much more um, uh, in fact, I, I'm not even going to say the working title okay. because it's, Fair it, it doesn't even it doesn't even speak to it. Um, okay. And and, it's, and I'll, I will say this that I worked with a uh, um, a, a script consultant who's ushered an Academy Award winning and Academy nominated films who read my script and and called me and and uh, he actually worked with me for free. He just he just like dude, you got something great here. I just want to help you. And, and he uh, he just showed me one meeting, but he showed me how to drop little pearls. He this guy was the um, like he was uh, uh, Joseph Campbell's right hand man for ten years, so the guy understands mythology and he understands dramaturgy, and um, so the things he showed me were I, I didn't rewrite the script. It was literally like a word here, a sentence there, you know. But it added what he called verticality to the characters, and and I discovered things through a constellation that I did with him about my characters that I didn't even know existed, but they made perfect sense. So. Um, again, that place that I went to in in terms of how I was able to manifest Michael Myers, how I was able to live in the space of the shape, is the same place that um, we've come from collectively to create this project that I'm working with right now. And 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 again, that's all about integrity and truth, and you know, and speaking to the human condition. 
Beautiful, man. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that progresses for sure. Um, and uh, you know, as, as production gets gets moving along, we'll we'll be in touch because I'm very curious about that. It sounds like something very timely and pretty heavy heavy hitting, but it'd be uh, curious to see what you know how that ends up turning out for sure. Um, we are okay. uh, we're we're ready to move into ten questions if you are. Okay, man. Right. Let's yeah, see what so, it is. so these are, you know, uh, the, you know, usually we have them all over the place. We've got some that are uh, kind of Halloween slash movie and uh, season themed this time around because we're actually going to launch this episode on Halloween proper. Uh, we always start out with a little bit of a uh, uh, a couple of softballs. The first, and this was one we actually ask every one of our guests. Um, and the first question is, who is your favorite Ghostbuster? <laughs> oh man. Dang, uh, the Ghostbusters. <laughs> Starting with a hard one. Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, he's easily mine. Too. Bill yeah, Murray. Yeah, it's 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 hard. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm an Egon Spangler, uh, Harold Ramis guy myself, but uh, it's 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 tough. Uh, well, I, I get that. I get yeah. that. And, you know, and, and honestly, his name just flashed in front of me, but I had to, I, you know, it's, as it's, I sat on it for like a nanosecond. It's Bill Murray. It, it is a Sophie's choice. I just choice like Bill Murray's sure. swagger throughout that whole well, movie. Well, yeah, back off, man. I'm a scientist. Is my favorite line and probably <laughs> uttered in any movie ever written ever. So, um, all right. So all right. number two, uh, what was your favorite Halloween costume? as a kid a uh, pirate very cool nice but, oh, you know I've always yeah. I've always really identified with I mean I've done, I, I did the live uh, version of Conan the Barbarian at Universal Ooh. Studios that was my awesome. my entree into stunts actually and you know so a sword in my hand is something that feels just super supernatural and I probably was a swashbuckler in a past life oh very cool man um, that's that's a great story about that's uh, Conan man. may, was, may I ask Conan, real quick Conan. Uh, pirate costume mm-hmm. uh, homemade or store bought um, well, you know, my mom made a lot of stuff. I mean, mom was very, uh, she was very creative and, you know, and made a lot of her own clothes and made things. So, no, uh, she, she made a lot of our costumes. That's awesome. Okay. So I always love hearing were, that. And, and I kind of went for more of the, you know, the, I mean, there's the authentic with the short. I mean, a real pirate was wearing, you know, like short, like uh knee length shorts and sandals and they didn't wear boots and I mean right. but I went more for the Captain Morgan kind of guy you know yeah yeah, yeah. just copy it off the Captain Morgan bottle yeah it's, it's <laughs> well you, you came from a large family I came from a family of six myself and uh having you know uh getting parents to go out and spend 40 50 bucks on a costume per kid is a little tough and once you do it for one you got to do it for all so a lot of a lot of my yeah exactly yeah that that's that's the easy way to say it i i was in the same boat where i mean which was great because I, I got some very unique costumes out of it and sometimes i had to i had to whip some together myself ghost slightly older ghost yeah, yeah. slightly slightly Taller older ghost, ghost. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah it's just like sheets but they don't get eye holes because i don't want you cutting my damn sheets open yeah so yeah just like <laughs> Ghost. Well, I was a blind ghost. <laughs> Fourteen years in a row. Uh, I know those are my wedding sheets. How dare you? <laughs> uh, so, but besides Michael Myers, who is your favorite iconic horror villain? You know, um, a, a spirit guide of mine uh, is. I, I, I have to like sort of expand this into the iconic bad guy is Basil Rathbone. Um, Basil Rathbone, of course, played uh, Sherlock Holmes back in the day. Oh, but right. He was yeah. the highest paid um, character actor in Hollywood for decades. And he played just, just iconic villains. And, you know, the funny thing was, is he was, um, he was really close friends with, um, oh, why am I spacing out his name now? Captain Blood, uh, uh, um, Robin Hood, uh, Errol Flynn. Oh, right. And yeah. so it was always, 
Yeah, so it was always said of of Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone that Basil Rathbone had the easiest job because he's a really good guy who played really just nasty villains. And Errol Flynn was a really nasty villain who had to try to play nice guys. And and so for me, the Basil Rathbone, um, you know, you look at his filmography and, you, if you, and I have seen God, uh, probably every Basil Rathbone film, he embodied evil. He embodied with such grace and refinement. And so for me, um, you know, I, I mean, going beyond just simple horror, you know, or simply categorizing it as horror. I mean, it's, to me, it's in the same vibration. It's the same place. So that's a rough bone for me, hands down. Um, and, and I, and I, I, I kind of feel like he was with me on this show. Like I, I kind of feel like he was with me experiencing the joy of being in front of a camera and just playing a nasty motherfucker, you know, <laughs> Excellent. Get to channel some of your heroes. Now, uh, mm. number four, and this is in a similar vein, but switching gears ever so slightly. Um, if you never got the role in Halloween as the shape, but you could choose another horror character in a famous movie to reprise uh, for, you know, the reboot, soft reboot, sequel, etc. cetera. Uh, if you had a choice, what would you choose? Wow. You're about to stump me on that one there. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> that's tough because, uh, it really, for me, even the idea of being an actor or, or, or creating, I, I kind of don't operate from that place of, of, I, I wait for inspiration to hit me and that's kind of the way it's always been. Or when mm-hmm. a job, you know, like when a role drops in my lap, then I'm like, Oh, okay, what's this about? And when I start to explore it, it expands for me, but I never really saw myself is going anywhere or doing anything. I just knew that I was doing what I was supposed to do. So um, I think I, I exist more in the place of just really admiring the things that, you know, the, you know, that, that Robert England created, for instance. I mean, uh, and I have to say it would be something like that maybe because Robert England, he just embodied this energy and his moves. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, huh. I'm a mover. I, I dance. I, you know, I, I, st- I still take ballet. Uh, I'm a martial artist. Um, so for me, movement is really, really important. And so when you get to a refined um, level of movement, like Robert England sort of embodied, um, that would be the type. But I can't say that I would want to be anybody other than Michael Myers, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a very fair answer. And I actually really like the way you illustrated that because it makes a lot of sense. Like Robert England, the way he literally like stands or even walks as Freddy Krueger is yeah. iconic. Just, yeah, it, it just hang, like hangs his, his glove hand down a little bit differently. Like, yeah. everything's beautiful in that. But And I guarantee you, man, that was intuitive. I guarantee he yep. didn't put a whole lot of, like, mental thought into it. I guarantee you that was just something that came through him because that's who he is. But it became Freddy, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, so- and wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, and if you actually were Michael Myers and you got caught, you're on death row. What would your last meal be? <laughs> I think a child's brain would be well. <laughs> if they got you, you got to bring it to me. Uh, <laughs> here, we can do a part B for that and we can get a little morbid. If you were on death row, what would your last meal be? Um, I think I would want to go out, uh, Without a meal, because I wouldn't want to shit my pants. That's a good call, man. I'd Ooh, yeah, fast yeah. for a few I days ahead of time. I always hear that people do that. Yeah, 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 when they die. Yeah, just go out with some damn dignity, man. Just don't go. 
you know, pooping out a roast beef sandwich. <laughs> I know, man. Getting <laughs> your brains out and peeing your pants. No, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Go, go like a boss. All right. All right. Um, number six. If you were a ghost and could haunt anyone, who would you haunt? Hmm. Famous, somebody you know, mm. anything. And also, the haunting doesn't need to be malevolent. It could also yeah. be benevolent. Just get to hang out. If your buddies, you know, would. Yeah, take you could you. either hang out with someone or, you know, the ruin their out. lives. Yeah. Well, I would have to say, I would have to, you know, without naming names, I would have to look at the person I think has done the most damage on this planet. Um, and that would probably be a world leader somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Fair enough. I think uh, in the past, yeah, yeah, and yep. I would probably haunt the fuck out of them, man. Yeah, you yep. know, and I would be like the, the ghost of Christmas past, where I would just bring up all these things, like, do you see what you did? See what you did? See what you did? Yep. See what you did? Yeah, you become like a, a moral teacher to, through to, through fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just be a, be a Dickensian. Uh, fear is a powerful ghost. motivator, man. Yeah. Um, now the the shapes mask is based on William Shatner. Uh, what's your favorite Star Trek series? It's okay mm. if you don't know Star Trek. You can wing it. <laughs> I do know Star Trek. Okay, good, 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 good. And only because, I mean, I watched it as a kid, yeah. you know, and, and so the Shatner Star Treks are always going to be the, 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 the uh, I mean, in the original uh, Spock, of course, to me. I mean, I kind of resonate with that that cool intellectualism. Um, so I, I think the original Star Trek for me, even though it was really kind of cheesy at times and really simple, um, I mean, I think the, the, the whole series has been brilliant. And, you know, Gene Roddenberry created something that was in, in turn, eternal and really, really embraced issues that we need to deal with, as, as a, which I think great art does. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think the original is just like you know, the original Halloween. I mean, I, I'm really proud of the work I did. I'm really proud of the work that everybody did. But on some levels, nothing will ever compare to what John Carpenter, Deborah Hill... Nick Castle, all those guys created the original. It's, you know, you, for me, for Star Trek, it's the exact same thing. I mean, production values increased, tremendously talented actors and directors and cinematographers all jumped in and really beautiful screenplays and, and, and you know, teleplays. But at the end of the day, I think the original for me will always be. No, good answer. It's actually the, uh, probably the same for me personally. Um, actually, it's kind of funny because I like what, the uh, what it did, like politically there too. But yeah, totally. Um, the the shapes mask, uh, Mike Myers mask, is uh, William Shatner's face spray painted white. I believe that's it. That's all they really did to it originally. Um, I can't believe someone at this point hasn't taken old Star Trek episodes and like you know just oh now with wash, digital yeah with yeah. digital like deep, just had with deep fake technology <laughs> has, just washing his face yeah and, white. Then, and, and then remove all of his lines so it's literally just Michael Myers playing so every uh, time playing you see Shatner, William Shatner yeah. on the bridge just Mike Myers sitting on the bridge yeah, that would be pretty cool man you guys are doing this and some twelve year old CGI freaking genius is going to do it. It's going to happen. Yep. Yeah. I, know. I, I <laughs> honestly hope we inspired someone with this episode. That yeah, would be if, amazing if, to go if home you, and watch. If you've, got, if you've got that, I hope in in a couple of weeks, if you're listening to this, put it up there. You know, maybe a little, maybe a little link yeah. back to our. show. And listen, you twelve year old punk. If you monetize this, <laughs> we said it here first. That's a copyright. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We've got it. We have it. I don't know how you can copyright somebody messing with other copyrighted material and monetizing it, but we'll figure it out. We, we'll, we'll fight that kid. We'll, yeah, we'll tell him we've got lawyers. He doesn't know any better. Uh, all right. My dad's a lawyer. <laughs> okay, he does. Never mind. Uh, all right, number eight, Scott. 
Number eight, uh, you've likely scared countless people with your role in Halloween. But what is it that keeps James Jude Courtney up at night? What scares you? Um, you know, I get, I'm a really empathic and empathetic person. So there are people in my lives who are right now today experiencing deep trauma. And, you know, the, the, the calls that I'll take it to in the morning from someone who's, who's really experiencing a really, really difficult time in life. And so, you know, my idea of what it means to be human is to, is to take these, these dark paths and, and to make something positive out of them. And, and so there are times I definitely lose sleep over friends, um, you know, people in my life who are experiencing darkness. And the, the real question is, can they make it out? You know, I mean, I know that when you go through really, really dark, hard times, you know, when we get out of them, we're deeper, richer human beings, but some people don't make it out, man. And, um, there are people in my life who, you know, right now I'm questioning, are they going to make it out? Are they going to live? Are they, are they going to realize their potential? And, and it's, it's a, as an empath, that's really, really difficult to deal with sometimes because it's, you know, intellectually it's easy to say, well, that's their life, let them go. But, you know, when I'm invested, when I love somebody, I really want to see them, you know, succeed and be happy. And so that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. I'm not worried about the future of this planet. I'm not worried about the future of society. I'm not worried about the future of politics because I think we're on a trajectory right now where we are alive at one of the most amazing times in history. I think we are experiencing a renaissance that we don't even realize we're in because with all these movements that are happening with, with the, with, I mean, with, with what you guys are doing again, uh, you know, with social media, with, with, you know, people downloading podcasts who are feeding themselves with new information. We are alive right now where people have the choice to embrace themselves, um, as who, you know, for who they are and what they are and to know that they have a place on this planet in this life at this time. And so it's more on a personal level that things keep me up at well, night. That's a, that's a very uh, very beautiful, thought-provoking, and positive answer. I would have gone with uh, Samara from The Ring, uh, but you could take the high road. That's cool. No, it's actually, you're, you're, you're pretty much mirroring exactly the, like everything I would say, actually, as far as what keeps me up at night as well. It's very, it's it's not as much self selfish of uh, I'm going to get uh, haunted by, and I think that's probably that way with a lot of people. Um but if you were, uh, okay, we're going to move on to number uh, nine here and uh, get you to, well, actually, are, are, are you in California right now? No, no, I'm in uh, South Carolina. I'm okay. back to where I'm from. Uh, okay, beautiful. Uh, so so you actually, because I was going to say, this might actually be a little uh, uh, less of a pressing uh, <laughs> question for Californians who don't have seasons. But I was going to say, if you were to choose one season uh, to go away forever, winter, spring, summer, fall, which would you have to choose? Oh, man, I couldn't do that. Because, I know, right? <laughs> because every every one of them is so in fact um my last a long-term relationship my last girlfriend um i wanted to spend five seasons in maine on the beach mm -hmm. you know like summer winter or summer fall winter spring summer yeah and she's like dude i am not spending a winter on the beach in maine i'm not going to do it ain't going to happen um but i think every season has its own beauty and its own um its own challenges and and so um i love them all i love extreme heat you know, being from South Carolina, yeah, you've got the um, real you know, extreme humidity, extreme heat. Um, but you know, I, I love each one of them for their beauty and and uh, I don't know, man. It's it's like it's like in a relationship. Would I really, really get rid of the you know the quirks and the pathologies of the women I've been with? No, man, because that's made them who they are. And 
you know, we're so lucky to be on this planet at this time and to, to live through all this beauty. I, no, I couldn't do that, man. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get, I, no, I wouldn't want to live in winter 24 seven, you know, 365. I, I wouldn't want to live, frankly, even though I love the heat, I wouldn't want to live in summer. Yeah. You know, yeah. 365. My answer is winter. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we we're from we're from Vermont too, so it's uh you know yeah, our, our winter is six months ah, of the year. Yeah, we're, so so and, and here's the thing is I actually I I actually would wouldn't even choose an entire season, but man, if somebody told me that February just wasn't going to happen this year, I'd be totally oh, fine. Just, just January, just February. one February that didn't exist. Yeah, just uh-huh. like you wake up and it's March, but you didn't somehow also lose your job because you just slept for a month. Yeah, thir- thirty great. days yeah. of negative ten, I could do without. For yeah, one yeah, year. we 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 uh, we we run into the into the negative, you know. Uh, Temps quite a bit around here, but but it is such a short period. And also, it, the other thing I feel about that is how much I respect and appreciate the spring and even the fall leading into it uh, because of the winter. I wonder how much that would change if suddenly I didn't that is have true. Those. It does give you a level of respect for the other seasons because you definitely go through what it would, as many winters as we've gone through and how harsh they can be. It's always good to see the other side, and it makes you love spring so much more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it makes you when you when you're going out in forty degree weather with t shirts on because it just feels really hot suddenly. Yeah, forty does feel, feel yeah. hot in the spring. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> you guys do that. <laughs> we, we do. Well, it's it's know, crazy. I was, I was born in uh, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, okay. I lived in Bedford, Ohio. So you understand? Until, you know, I moved down when I was a kid. So I'm the oldest of, of my brothers. So I delivered papers in sub-zero weather. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you understand. In the morning. You, you got it. Which, which and, also makes you, know, you appreciate. So, and, it. But there was something so beautiful when the moon is out and the snow is blue, blue mm-hmm. and there's there's nobody but you out there. That and, smell. Yeah. You know, yeah, man. I had I, I was like a, you know like the, like the Michelin man, you know, with with eight coats on and and two <laughs> yep. bags strapped to you to my shoulders and yep. and it was it was hard and it was cold and brutal, but. Um, you know, and there were days when, you know, as a young ass, I started playing football in fourth grade. So, you know, you said, oh, no, no, you, you can't go out and run, but I was not going to miss my run. And, you know, my lungs would burn. And um, But it was just a really, really beautiful experience because on those days when I'd be out running and, you know, in, in, in you know, freaking 10 degree weather, um, I mean, you know, the, Cleveland's on Lake Erie. So the winds that came off the lake Ooh, were freezing yeah. cold, dude. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I and, and we moved down south. I I actually missed that extreme, but that, I love extremes, man. You know, yeah. if, if you see the end of the film, and for the people who haven't seen it, I'm not going to say what happens. Um, but that was extreme, and and you know, so the feeling of that in, in immediately, immediately in that last scene um, is is painful, and and then you are literally within seconds of a, a catastrophic a catastrophic event. And so for me, extremes is a really alive place to be, which is why I've done stunts. Um, you know, so to lose the extreme nature of of a season, you know, extreme heat, extreme cold, a lot of rain, you know, or the sublime beauty of, you know, the season change in fall when mm-hmm. the, the leaves begin oh, to turn. Yeah. I mean, God, that's, you know, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It would be a tough one for me uh, to choose as well. Still winter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. By tough, I mean, I would say it's winter. Just... Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, now we're on to our last question, number 10. Well, we, and we, this we... is the hardest question oh, yeah, that we've... We, uh... we throw a real curveball. This one's tough. Yeah. Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? And bonus points if you can include the phrase fake news. <laughs> uh, well, I consider... Um... I would say that a hot dog is an American delicacy mm-hmm. and that, that anybody who doesn't understand that is completely tied into fake news because where else in the world 
could you get could you go and watch a baseball game and get a freaking awesome dog with just the right mustard you know what I mean I, and, and I've had that experience in Major League Baseball stadiums more than one more than several actually um, it's it, you know and, and even in, the, in that moment the idea that a hot dog is not healthy for you is fake news for sure yeah <laughs> because there's nothing more important than having a hot dog in a baseball game yeah, I, I I would say uh, I I remember my my parents would say a hot dog a day keeps the doctor away, and uh, then I got uh, diabetes. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, that's uh, that was a beautiful answer and uh, great for uh, the extra points. I'm actually curious, are you because uh, you brought up um, uh, baseball there? Are you a are you a Cleveland fan because you uh, grew up in that area? Or are you uh, did you pick up teams from something else, or do you not even give a shit about baseball? Well, I mean, you know, as a young athlete. Um, uh, I would, I started baseball late, so mm-hmm. I was stuck in right field, and that was the boring, most boring thing in the freaking oh, world. Oh yeah, that's where they yeah. in this, yep. I mean, you know, you're, you know, and everybody else started a few years ahead of me. I, I you know, so I'm more action oriented. Like I love martial arts, I love football. Um, you know, I love engagement, I love contact. I, I super appreciate the athleticism uh, of a baseball player. I mean, it's just, I mean, the refinement and the and the subtleties and you know, and the hard work that it takes to, to be a baseball player. Um, for me, baseball, going to a, a, a baseball game, like, you know, I'm down here in South Carolina. We've had some, universities had some, you know, national championship teams and I've been there, you know, I'll show up and watch them and I really appreciate the athleticism. But the, at the end of the day, um, it's more that I appreciate the athleticism and the intelligence. Um, I'm really more a college football guy. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, and so my Gamecocks, my South Carolina Gamecocks, you know, are, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I believe Garden Black, man. And, and, uh, um, and I, you know, there, I, in fact, I talked to a guy who played, uh, for Alabama, um, not too long ago. And he was like, he'd never, in, in all the stadiums he played in, he'd never played in a stadium like South Carolina. I mean, it's one of the most insane stadiums you'll ever see that the fan base is just just rabid. I mean, LSU, Florida, Alabama, there, you know, um, there are definitely schools around the nation that have really, you know, excellent fan bases and excellent stadium experiences. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel really fortunate to, you know, and I've been like up in the governor's box, my brother's a politician. You know, I mean, we have multiple tailgate, um, spots and we have cockabooses down here, you know, little cabooses where you go out and party your ass off and, um, at the end of the day, man, football, football's it. Yep. Well, yeah, I, I was, I, I can pretend I was asking because the World Series just passed, but really I was just curious and that wasn't one of the 10 questions. That was the 11th question. So you've already, you've already passed our, our hard round of 10 questions plus a bonus phrase fake news tossed in there plus the bonus question and a follow-up, man, you, you knocked it out of the park. Uh, that's another baseball thing I guess they do. Um, so, uh, and uh, so yeah, I'm just making, making all those puns all over the place. Don't even mean to. Uh, so uh, thanks for listening to our World Series themed uh, podcast, uh, but not really. And uh, we do want to say uh, thank you, James Drew Courtney, for sitting through the 10 questions and providing all the insight on the new Halloween movie. Um, you've done a great job, uh, you know, filling the large shoes and the heavy shoes of Mr. Uh, Michael Myers, uh, a.k.a. The Shape, uh, for this role. And um, I hope to see a heck of a lot more of you in the future. And uh, now that you're, you know, going into the production game with this, uh, this film that you're com- that's coming out as well, I'm going to uh, really curious to see where everything takes you from here. 
Thanks, man. Uh, thanks. I'm I'm honored to be uh, to be your guest, man. And I, uh, I I you guys are awesome, and and you know, thank you for doing what you do, man. Because this is I think what's happening is journalism is being taken to you know I really again have a deep deep affinity for journalism. And what you guys are doing is taking information to a new level. It's not being controlled by a corporation that needs to make a billion dollars. It's not you know being controlled by a network or being controlled by you know I had a law and ethics professor in journalism school who he said, you got to ask yourself these two questions. One, when you're interviewing somebody, what is it they want you to know? and Why do they want you to know it? And secondly, who owns the newspaper or network that you're working for? And what do they want you to share? And why do they want you to share that? And so I think the freedom um, of doing what you guys are doing is you don't have these ulterior motives that are based on profit. Yeah, I mean, it's always a business. I mean, we, we, we deserve to make a living doing what we do. I make a living doing what I do. But at the end of the day, I think this whole podcast thing is taking it to the level because people can find journalists that they find honest and they have integrity, that have shared um, likes and dislikes, and they're going to learn from them. And it's not going to be based you know, solely on the monetized paradigm. So, you know, thank you for doing what you do because it's freaking awesome. Absolutely. And that's definitely the most credit anybody has ever given us uh, for, for doing a podcast in our life. It really, I, It's funny, I'd never actually thought about that, uh, the difference between maybe going into an interview like this and one with a corporate-owned, uh, um, you know, a, a corporate entity that owns it, of even having to think about what kind of different answers you might have to give because of the ulterior motives. We, uh, we are just genuinely uh, curious uh, horror geeks, and we're really glad that you spent uh, some of your whirlwind on, uh, on sitting down with us. And, and asking questions. So once again, James Jude Courtney, uh, from the bottom of our hearts and from the listeners out there, thank you very much for doing what you're doing and for sitting down with us today. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, it's been my deepest pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again, James Jude Courtney. I know we said it a bunch in the interview, and I wanted to just say it once again. That was great for, for James to take uh, an entire hour plus out of his whirlwind schedule that's been going crazy for him to sit down and chat with us and to chat with you all out there. I hope you all felt like you were part of the conversation. We were giddy going into it, and we're even more giddy now. I almost felt like I had a friend for a second. And then... The loneliness came again, and the loneliness monster ate away at my soul like it's butterscotch cookie, and the monster likes butterscotch cookies, so he's nibbling away going, you don't need that soul, do you? You don't need no happiness to your life, danger. I'm like, no, you don't. Oh, why don't you why don't you turn to your friend Scott and talk to him? Oh, he's not there? Because he doesn't like you anymore. Because he thinks you're an ugly dum-dum. And he thinks your face looks like a shrunken cabbage. Even though it's a big head. You got a big old head, you fat neck fuck. Anyway, um want to go out on uh, our uh, continuing saga of Jason Jr. and Bruce Bruce. Uh, we're going to go ahead and hear back from them and see what they've been up to. Hopefully they're fine. Last week left you on a real old cliffhanger. And we're going to we're gonna hear what they have to say. And after that, uh, we're going to go out on uh, Sonic Jalopy. Uh, it's weird because that's me, uh, but not me. It's my little, uh, it's my pseudonym, my pen name for my music stuff. Uh, it's fitting because uh, quite a few years ago, I wrote... Uh, some songs about the human side of Michael Myers and how him being put... It, 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 it's Halloween. It's horror emo is what I've called it. It's a tongue-in-cheek little bit. It's, uh, it's about... Uh, it's called Don't Call Me Monster. Um, just call me Michael. And uh, this is the f- going to be the 
first of two. Uh, those of you who've been listening for a while have already heard. I think both of them just peppered in randomly. But anyway, uh, I, I decided to kind of sit that back and say, hey, is Michael Myers really that much of a monster? I mean, he is now, but what made him that way? Maybe the parents were a little too harsh to be like, oh, you murdered. Now we got to throw you in a home and like not even visit you for 15 years and we expect you to just be a fine kid. Yeah, guess what? I'd be a little fucked up too. Anyway, I uh, got to humanize the, the, the beast of Michael Myers a little bit in the song after our little bit. But first, we are going to hear from Jason Jr. and Bruce Bruce. Hopefully, you guys are doing okay. And in the meantime, don't worry. Scott will be back for the next time around. And uh, happy Halloween month, everybody. We will be bleeding right into uh, Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving Halloween month as well. Because fuck it. We like it. And uh, enjoy. Get lost. Goodbye. Well, I'm in a bit of a pickle here, folks. Jason Jr.'s singing put me right to sleep while we were surrounded by werewolves. Or maybe it was just me crashing hard off my coke binge, I don't know. Either way, I woke up and Jason Jr. was gone. I fear the worst because there's just a little bit of piss dribble. A little British piss dribble leading away from a storage container hideout. That don't look good. I think maybe he was dragged out of here, kidnapped by some kind of beast. Maybe he was just kidnapped by some piss-loving creep with a penchant for young boys. But either way, I wouldn't want to be Jason Jr. right now. I really want to help him, I really do, but my uh, my foot's asleep, so there's that. And then there's the fact that I don't have a weapon. So I'll find a weapon, slowly, don't want to rush these kind of things, and once I do that, I'll reassess the situation, and I'll see if it makes sense to risk my very barely important and valuable life for the little British has-been. I'm very burly and very brave, so I imagine I'll save him, but also, also, what if I don't? What if I don't? What, what if this, what if this, what the werewolves want me to do? Well, we don't even know their motives. I know, you're saying, Bruce, Bruce, they're werewolves. Their motives are eating people. Man, go save them. Maybe making a couple of other werewolves along with the way, but for the most part, they just eat people. You know their motives, man. You're just stalling for time then. Question, do werewolves fuck? I've seen, like, the howling and tons of bestiality, so I assume they fuck, but, but do they really have to? No, but they don't have to to procreate now, do they? They just bite someone and now they've got a whole new werewolf. All party trained and everything. Why waste all that energy birthing new wolves? All the pain and everything. Little babies that all need your attention. You can't go out werewolfing all day. you got to be like, I've got to stay home with a baby. A little baby werewolf's got to stay home with it. I've got to make sure the baby werewolf got its pampers changed. Whatever the baby wolves do there. You know, like, oh no, it's got to take its first step. Nah, no, you can have a brand new wolf right away. It pays its own bills. Wipe its own ass. All you gotta do is just, just, just bite somebody. That's the way to have a. That's a way to have a family. We should look into that as humans. Imagine they just walk up to somebody. You walk up to a cat. What if you walked up to a wolf and bit a wolf and all of a sudden you got a brand new human? Well, that'd be terrifying, actually. Never mind that. Try another way. Although, oh, if they do fuck, like if you make a wolf, you know, like you bit somebody, they become a wolf. You're like, oh, they're hot. Can you fuck that wolf? Or is that like werewolf incest? You know, like. Is, is it okay to do that? Or is it maybe like step-sibling kind of thing, like something you'd see on Werewolf Pornhub or something like that? Uh, you know, you see, it's answers to these questions that I, I must gather before I go out on a suicide mission to save some British wang, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ponder these for a bit, find a weapon slowly, maybe take a nap, and uh, uh, can't go werewolf hunting if I'm not well-rested. Then I'll need uh, something to eat, of course. Can't go werewolf hunting on an empty stomach. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, that's the plan. I'll check in soon. Let you know if Jason Jr. turns up as a pile of bones somewhere or whatever. Over and out back. Do you get it? 
over in Outback. It's like a little Aussie, a little Aussie pun for you there. A little Aussie pun for the listeners out there who wanna, who wanna hashtag it. Go ahead. Pretty cool if you ask me. Over in Outback. <laughs> I thought it was nice. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. Halloween night, 1963 Got my clown suit on and I'm ready What happened next? I blocked out the memory Blood on my shoes and Judith dead at my feet I screamed ran out the front door Thought mom and dad they would save me they just threw me in a hole Neglect the thought of my existence Replace the boy with the devil in their heads Don't call me monster please Just call me Michael I got a chest full of breath And a heart that beats in it I just want another chance To be the son that I know I can be Fifteen years filled with darkness Fifteen birthdays without a family If there's a devil inside It was fashioned by your hands Time robbed my youth of a soul And my humanity Don't call me monster, please Just call me Michael I got a chest full of breath And a heart that beats in it I just want another chance To be the son that I know I can be Please just call me Michael I got a chest full of breath And a heart that beats in it I just want another chance To be the son that I know I can be